Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Catch Up with Louise Makshari. This is the podcast where I do my best, along with my team of crack contributors, to bring you up to date on the week. If you haven't been paying attention, if you have tuned out, we will update you on the news, on pop culture, and we will talk to people. We will talk to people. I will talk to people. (laughs) I always say we. Who's we? It's just me. It's literally just me. Um, I will talk to people um, who I think you'll find interesting or who have something interesting to say. And today is no exception. Very excited for you to hear the interview we have in the middle of the, the podcast. We. Stop saying we. That's my years of radio, of being part of a team, um, being part of a radio station. And then I'm like, no, it's just me alone all the time. Um. God, I'm betraying my emotions already in the opening of the podcast. I do apologize. I'm not going to lie. I am on the struggle bus, my friends. I don't know. Maybe it's the time of year. I just feel like I'm I'm hitting a wall. And um, if you are feeling that way, solidarity, my friends. There is a break coming, I hope, for you at Christmas time. I am going to take a break this year. And I'm really looking forward to it. I'm so tired. There's so many things. I think if you've got like a lot going on, you know, in your normal life and then you've got, you know, a busy work life and if you have a lot of responsibilities in your work life and then if you're someone who maybe feels things potentially too deeply and if there's a lot going on in the news and all the rest, it can feel like frankly too much and I'm definitely in that boat at the moment Um, and yeah, I think it's, I always think it's worthwhile acknowledging these things. Um in the hope that it makes maybe one of you guys feel a little bit less alone, if that's how you're feeling too. Um, however, the show does go on. Uh, we do have a great episode for you this week. Um, myself and Carl chat through the news, of course. Um, there's some good stuff in there as well. There is light and shade, would you believe? In the middle, you're going to hear me talk to the absolutely incredible Eve McDowell. If you know her name, you know what to expect. If not, don't worry, I'll explain all later on. And then myself and Esther had a really properly good laugh talking about the celebs this week. There was nothing too serious in there. And some great news about Girls Aloud. Um, before we get stuck in, I just want to say thank you to everyone who got in touch with me um, in relation to advertising and sponsorship on the podcast. Obviously, um, I think 
very carefully about who I work with um, in every area of my work. Um, and I know that some of you felt uncomfortable with the sponsorship that was on the podcast last week, um, which I can fully appreciate. As you might imagine, um, sponsorship and ads are recorded and agreed upon far, far in advance of their actual placement within um, podcasts and all the rest. I actually didn't realize um, that that was going to be in last week's episode. But uh, I have certainly hit a pause anyway on working with that particular company for a while um, for obvious reasons. Um, And uh, yeah, I appreciate those of you who flagged it with me. And um, I, I hope that you can understand that uh, these things are can be a little bit complicated, but um, it is resolved now. I, I do honestly think very carefully about who I work with um, on this podcast and in every area of my work. Um, so if you ever do hear something that feels incongruous or wrong or like it doesn't fit with the podcast or with me or my values, I am always grateful to hear from you because... Um, you know, we may not always agree, but I think often we will. And um, I think it's it's important that we're all on the same page. Like this podcast is for you. Um, we work together. Yes, it is, of course, how I make my living as well. Um, a large portion of how I make my living. But, um, you know, I'm not someone who compromises when it comes to principles and morals. And um, I hopefully never will be. So there you go. Now, let's get stuck in. Enough of my misery rambling unfortunately there is a bit of misery chat at the start of the news obviously because uh, the horrors that are taking place go on but as i said there is some good crack at the end so do stick it out it's worthwhile it's we have to stay tuned in like as hard as it is and it is hard we can't disconnect from what's happening um and uh, i I think that's part of what myself and carl kinsella of the journal.ie discussed this week Carl Kinsella with us once again from Amsterdam. Carl, I was asking you there how you're getting on and you were saying you're house hunting, which has been kind of demoralizing. And I almost think it's kind of nice for people to hear that house hunting is demoralizing in other European cities as well as in Dublin. It's it's honestly, it's very, you can see the parallels. Like it's so similar. It's, you know, it's so hard to get a response from anyone online. The sort of like daft.ie equivalent here is called Cameronet. And yeah, it's so hard to get a response um, and for weeks, I wasn't getting any kind of responses. And, you know, yesterday or the day before, miraculously, I, they started like flooding in. Mm. So I have a few viewings coming up this weekend. So if all the listeners could like pray for me and light a candle that I can find somewhere permanent to live. I'm currently currently on a friend's couch um, going to an Airbnb in a couple of days. So uh, I don't know if you've seen the meme of like the ant with a, like a hitchhiker bindle over his shoulder, <laughs> yeah. like, really like he just looks like a really needy little guy. That's how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, like that does sound really grim. I don't know who the patron saint of like finding a room to live in is. But um, yeah, let's <laughs> yeah. all say our prayers to that guy. Um, OK, well, let's get into the week's news. I was reflecting upon the fact that you have been doing this slot now for I, th- I don't know if this is the fifth or sixth week. Um, and we have had only one week where Gaza has not been the dominating story. Um, and it is ongoing and not getting any better. And I kind of was like, what it, What even is there to say? But there, there is stuff to say. Um, I mean, first, I think we have to acknowledge the fact that the death toll has hit an absolutely shocking number. Yeah, it's at it's at least eleven thousand now, and it's 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 interesting. A lot of the coverage this week has been sort of questioning how well we can verify information coming out of either Israel or Gaza, yeah. because 
I mean, there aren't too many sort of independent verifiers on the ground. As we've seen, a lot of the uh, news organizations that are based in Gaza have been bombed. So I think people become a bit skeptical. They're wondering, you know, well, how do we know? How do we know how many people are dying? But UNICEF this week were very strong. And they said that historically, uh, the Ministry of Health based in Gaza that their figures have always lined up with the UNICEF figures yeah. and that really there is kind of, there is no good reason. There's no historical precedent for casting doubt on them. Mm. So unfortunately that would suggest that indeed the death toll is as high as we're seeing. Mm. Um, you know, that really is just, it is horrifying. And as you say, it gets higher and higher each week. And I think both of us, I noticed shared on Instagram this week that, you know, there was a tweet that said like, if there was a ceasefire yesterday, then none of the children who died today would be dead. And I think that is kind of what is sticking in people's minds is that there is, you know, regardless, even even if you are pro-Israel, regardless, why not have a ceasefire? You know, you know, a temporary, a moment where we could sort of collect our thoughts and allow for humanitarian aid and just stop the kill stop the bombing exactly and like if you are the israelis and your goal is to get these hostages released which is a perfectly legitimate goal like why not stop and try and negotiate their safe exit from you know their where they're being held hostage like at this point it makes i mean even if you desperately try and find the sense in it or like some sort of you know kind of weird way of thinking that could make it make sense it just doesn't it just doesn't make sense and as you say literally you know we're just watching people die i mean children children held a press conference this week just saying that they're being exterminated. Like, I just, I I really, 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 really struggle to get to a place where I can understand how the people who are responsible for this continuing are able to live with themselves. Like, I just can't. And it's, you know, obviously, as you well know, like the job of a journalist, we're supposed to remain neutral as much as absolutely possible. But how you can watch the footage of just dead bodies, dead body after dead body and ruined building after ruined building and all these stories. Mm. And all of it is verifiable. You know, this is video evidence. We Mm. can see the destruction that's happening. Mm. All the while, kind of, we're getting social media footage out of Israel of people relaxing on beaches. And, you know, it just, it's impossible to really just stand in the middle and say, and just kind of report on it in a neutral way, because it is just, it's abhorrent to sort of any moral sensibility that anyone could have. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, you know, as you say about the hostages, there's, a, you know, a very important Irish kind of connection at the minute yeah. where it, it transpired this week that apparently uh, an eight year old girl, Emily Hand, who is the she's the daughter of a of an Irish man, Thomas Hand, um, and she's an Irish citizen, uh, that she was originally reported dead mm. um, after the attack by Hamas on October 7th. And it now appears um, through Israeli intelligence that she is alive. Mm. Um, which is an incredibly confusing and, and I think torturous thing, not only for her father, but mm. also for Irish diplomats who now have to work mm. you know, tirelessly, not only to, because, you know, if it were the case of, of negotiating for her release, that would be one thing, but we don't even necessarily have confirmation that she is alive. Yeah. That is the horror and the sort of speculation of war that we we have to sit here and we have to think about whether this child is alive or not. Yeah. And, you know, this is just uh, 
There's no good angle on this. Yeah, I mean, it just is awful. And, and you know, I, I saw an interview that they did on Virgin Media with um, Emily Han's dad this week. And he, he, he said something, and I, I'm not quoting him verbatim, but something along the lines of like, you know, kind of how she is when we get her back. If we get her back, we will, will kind of manage. Kind of, you know, reflecting on the fact that, you know, if they do get Emily back, and obviously... Jesus, we hope they do, that like she will not be the same Emily that she was, you know, when she went. So it's all of these horrible pockets of just misery and destruction. And for what? You know, I think that's that's what everyone is coming down on now is like for what? Like for what gain? To what end? All of this is man-made. All of this was started by people. This could be ended by people today. Um, and it is a choice not to. And, and it's, yeah, it's really difficult to stomach. Unfortunately, um, even for Palestinians who are not in Gaza, things have not been great this week either. In the West Bank, there has been an increased level of violence toward Palestinians by settlers, um, Israeli settlers, um, which I gather has been quite stark as well. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, this is sort of, this can be complicated for people because there's just this association of Palestine being both Gaza and the West Bank. And I think you might, like, people might assume that these are two contiguous uh, sort of cities. But the West Bank is is about 100 kilometers away from Gaza. It's on sort of the other side of, the, you know, the officially recognized state of Israel. Um, and yeah, a, a fantastic reporter, Hannah McCarthy, who has been basically embedded in, in Israel since... Um, these events are taking place. You're a, a great report about what's happening in the West Bank um, for the journal. And in the West Bank, you know, the West Bank is not run by Hamas. Uh, the West Bank is, is is run by the Palestinian Authority, which is that's a democratically elected um, authority. Mm. And they, you know, they've over the years kind of had more normalized relations with Israel. But the fact is that this is where the, when people talk about settlers and settlements and occupied territories, this is what they're talking about. And what you have in many cases is Israeli civilians with guns showing up at the house of a Palestinian person living in the West Bank and telling them that they have 24 hours to leave or they'll be killed. Mm-hmm. And I think we know now that, like, because I've, I've seen the footage online, that these things are being sanctioned by the IDF and by the Israeli state because I've seen footage mm-hmm. of uh, Israeli civilians shooting Palestinians in front of the IDF and yeah. the IDF don't intervene. And that is kind of, a, so the West Bank is sort of facing a different threat to Gaza. It's not being bombed, but are, people are being forced out of their homes. Yeah. Um, I was actually, I was at a, uh, a protest this week and one of the speakers had said that uh, a few months ago, um, Israel put out a tender for several thousand workers from Palestine to come and work and do construction work in Israel. And thousands of people are oh. missing. A lot of them, you know, have reportedly been imprisoned. And these are just these are just migrant workers, you know, in the same way that, you know, people from the EU come to Ireland to work, people mm. from Ireland go abroad to work. That that was the sort of intention here. Mm. But the way it's unfolded now is that these people are from the West Bank are being used as pawns in the game. So you know, Obviously, this is not the most pressing thing, but big picture, the damage that's being done to Israel and Israel's reputation through this is going to be something that'll be talked about for centuries, I'd say, because 
a lot I have I am seeing American Jew after American Jew on TikTok talking about having this aha moment of you know having grown up with this idea of Israel never questioning it and then all of a sudden realizing oh wait like there were people already there and and how what has happened and then learning about what's happened and being shocked and appalled and you know around the world people who maybe hadn't paid attention to this conflict or this situation are being enlightened and I don't see very many people kind of learning and then coming out on the side of you know Zionism so it's going to be really interesting down the line when hopefully this conflict does end to see how things pan out for Israel because I, I it doesn't look good no and and you know I honestly don't you know, that's where you kind of get into the weeds of trying to understand the psyche of the people in Israel, the people, because there have been people, even before, like in the last year, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, like he has in the last several years, he's faced corruption charges, mm-hmm. like he's been he's been put on trial. Um, there have been enormous protests over things he's tried to do in terms of bringing the Supreme Court of the country under his control. So I'm, I'm interested to even think about how many Israelis uh, think about this um, mm. this latest step. and Because yeah. I think there's also a great degree of frustration with the fact that the government of Israel totally failed in terms of, in its intelligence, in terms of allowing the Hamas attack to happen. Mm. So it's sort of like they're not even keeping Israelis safe mm. as a result of, of all this violence and all this bloodshed. Mm. So kind of it harkens back to your point you know for what you know what is this bombing for because it doesn't make anybody safer Mm. it it's you know it's not targeting Hamas it's not a targeted attack it's it's you know there's all these kind of cartoons you see of uh like you know political cartoons where you have the sort of state or like kind of a somebody an embodied version of Hamas hiding behind all these sort of children and things and you have people arguing in favor of Israel saying that well you know they're using human shields Mm. But that just doesn't seem like a, a coherent moral argument, does it? Like mm. if someone using a human shield, you don't shoot through the human shield. No, you know, no. Even, and that's you know, and that's even taking the rhetoric at face value. Yeah. I think there's many doubts to be cast over that rhetoric. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we will talk about it again next week. There's no doubt about that. And once again, I guess we can just conclude by saying hopefully next week we'll be talking about a ceasefire. Um, Okay, let's move on. You texted me this morning to say, I think we should talk about this. And I said, I know almost nothing about this. Um, So this is a court case. Um... I'm going to let you go. You go. Sure, sure. So this is this is a story that that broke kind of last night. Um, it's the I'm sure some of the, the readers will be uh, familiar with it because it's it's the trial of Molly and Thomas Martins. So these there's a, a a daughter and father who were convicted uh, a few years back of killing an Irish man who was who was living in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So that's Jason Corbett. He, he was married to Molly Martins mm. and he died uh, by, you know, uh, blunt force trauma to the trauma to the head. Mm. And at the time, uh, Molly Martins and her father, Thomas, were convicted of second degree murder. Mm-hmm. Um, as it transpired, that was then quashed. But uh, on appeal by the state, they were brought back before the court and they were charged with voluntary manslaughter. And they were convicted last night of voluntary manslaughter. Mm. So they were sentenced to uh 51 to 74 months in prison for the voluntary manslaughter of jason corbett um 
the family of Jason Corbett are not happy with um, this uh, kind of outcome. I mean, I'm I'm sure like the conviction is one thing, but they're they're not happy with the sentence. Mm. Um, a family member on Twitter said that they were at a loss for words and that there was no justice for Jason. Mm. Um, and Jason Corbett did have children, and I think in 2017 it was decided that Jason Corbett's sister in Limerick uh, would get custody of the children as opposed to Molly Martin. So those children are now being raised in Limerick. Mm. Um, but yeah, it is just it's a story that I think people have have kind of followed for a couple of years. Um, it's it's quite dramatic. I think there's there's sort of a, a lot of I mean, this is a court case. So, you know, kind of no speculation on my end, but just that there are a lot of uh, there is speculation as to as to why this killing took place and, and what the kind of circumstances of it were. Mm. It's the kind of thing that I, I'm certain at some point we'll get a Netflix series yeah. on it. And because podcast. it's an American court case, obviously, the coverage is very different and what you have access to in terms of information is very different. Um, you know, we have a, a lot stricter guidelines around that kind yes. of thing here in Ireland. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But I can only imagine how difficult it is for those two kids, um, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, that's That's got to be incredibly tricky. Um, interesting. I was kind of like voluntary manslaughter. I just Googled it there kind of to see what the difference is. So voluntary, because manslaughter is usually when you kill someone but not intentionally, I think, is the basic thing. But mm -hmm. voluntary manslaughter is... Um, according to Wikipedia, uh, that much cited source, is the killing of a human being in which the offender acted during the heat of the passion under circumstances that would cause a reasonable person to become emotionally or mentally disturbed to the point that they cannot reasonably control their emotions. So as in, if they'd been in their right mind, kind of, they would not have done this, but because of the circumstances of the situation, the emotions, they did something uncharacteristic, I suppose. That's interesting yeah. as a charge, yeah. It is interesting as a charge. And I think ultimately it is because, you know, because the second degree murder charge was overturned. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's why they went with such kind of a, I don't know what you, I guess you call it a weak charge or yeah. a, a very, a, a very light charge. And they, you know, as I said, they've been, um, they were sentenced to 51 to 74 months in prison, but they had already served quite a lot of time for the, uh, for the, when they were convicted of secondary, uh, or second degree murder. So I think they will only serve about seven months now mm. uh, going forward, seven more months. Yeah. And obviously I, I, I suppose that is why the sort of disappointment comes in on the family of Jason yeah. Corbett. Is oh, has to be incredibly difficult for them. Incredibly yeah. difficult. Um, okay, now we are going to fly through the rest of these stories, which actually, would you believe, includes a bit of light and shade, my friends, and I'm so happy about that. Let's start with smartphones in primary schools. This, uh, my God, this is a whole lot of nonsense, isn't it? Well, it, I, I'm, I'm I so glad you is. said. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that because I'm not a parent, so I have kind of no personal. I've never thought about whether I would give my child a smartphone or like the sort of implications of giving my child a smartphone, and I just find this story so. It's such a non-issue compared yeah. to so many of the issues being faced in the Department of Education, and I feel like I've been seeing it. I've been reporting on it and seeing it for at least a year just to because so frequently you'll get these stories that are like, oh, a parish in Dingle or Clonakilty has sort of had a voluntary ban on smartphones for children. Mm. And whenever that comes out, you'll get some kind of contribution from the Department of Education talking about it and talking about their strategy on smartphones. 
And it's just, it seems to be such a priority for them. And it's like, why is it a priority? They, they don't offer any reason why it's a priority. Yeah. You know, it's just a kind of assumed thing that smartphones are bad, but they don't actually offer any justification as to why smartphones well, should be bad. Well, the thing is, right, as parents, I think, um, I think we would all love if our kids didn't have smartphones. <laughs> you know what mm, I mean? Yeah. Because unfortunately, yeah, if you give your kid a smartphone, you know, a, 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 and I haven't gotten there yet, thank God, I'm dreading it. Um, you know, you are giving them access to a lot. Even if you're very careful and even if you do everything that you can, you know, your children will access things. The thing is, your children are going to access things anyway, first of all. And second of all, like, I think personally like individual school policies on smartphones make sense i think individual household policies on smartphones make sense makes sense for parents to have you know their own restrictions or whatever on smartphones do what you want but for the government and the minister for education to spend so much time on this policy and so much time talking about it when there is a major teacher shortage and so many other funding issues and and as you say challenges faced by the department of education it just seems wild it seems to me like it's it's kind of um an attempt to kind of look like something has been achieved when yeah. you know what's what are you really achieving like when when most places already have policies yes that's i think you know virtually every school is going to already have a smartphone policy yeah. you know, kids aren't allowed to have smartphones in class even going back to when i was in secondary yeah. school weren't yeah. allowed to have mobile phones even me class. back when we used to have to wind them up out the back <laughs> <laughs> even yeah, we had smartphone you couldn't drag policies. those along no exactly <laughs> but, but yeah it's so interesting because Norma Foley she's not even because she's she's not even kind of advocating for a strong position because she said this isn't a war on smartphones she's just saying that she wants to provide encouragement for schools to have their own smartphone policy and it's like schools already, already do it's, it's like, like so what principle you... doesn't like that's it's just crazy yeah it's yeah, just it's such a waste of what it feels like, that's exactly you know? what it feels like okay yeah. now uh we will all be familiar with the uh, saga that was maria bailey falling off the swing in the dean hotel um none of us will ever forget it if you were around you'll probably remember the moment you heard <laughs> had <laughs> fallen off a swing in the Dean Hotel. Um, but she, the story rose its ugly head again this week because she has received an apology from a newspaper. Yes, she got an apology from the Mirror Group newspaper. Um, and, you know, this is so funny because now we're talking about it. So we have to be really careful as well because we know that, you know, if we if we put a foot wrong, we exactly. could end up having to apologise. Yeah. But so the Irish Daily Mirror, they had uh, accused Maria Bailey of of mounting a, quote unquote, dodgy insurance claim and then, quote unquote, telling fibs. And under Irish defamation law, just one of the worst, worst, worst things you can do is accuse someone of willfully lying. Yeah, because it's 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 ultimately impossible or it's very, very hard to prove that somebody is lying or doing something bad faith so it's just it's always a mistake to do it even if even if you use like cutesy words like telling fibs it's Mm. just it's always a mistake to imply that someone is being intentionally dishonest Mm. um but i'm i am glad this this story was back and it's it is uh it's it's interesting like maria bailey she she gave a statement afterwards and said very happy to receive this apology this morning it's been a long time coming after a difficult couple of years and i mean Obviously, I would sympathize with anyone who's kind of accused of lying, but I don't know if it's a di- really a difficult couple. Like you fell off a swing, 
you know, I'm I'm really not sure that amounts to a difficult couple of years. You well, know? I, th- I also think like I think that that time probably was difficult for her. Like it's not nice to be at the center of a national joke like the fall it, itself. You know, we could put to one side, but like she was the center of a national joke for quite some no. time. Like there That's is right. no doubt about that. But, you know, I would say a rough couple of months, maybe a few months. Um, yes, I would hope yeah. she's doing OK now. Um, she seems That's, like yeah, a very I, strong and capable woman. Absolutely. I think she's she's someone who there's no there's no worry about her having a, yeah. you know, a very solid career in whatever she pursues. But she's right. You know, she's right. You have a right to protect your reputation and it's not OK for a newspaper or any other publication to um, to paint an, an inaccurate picture of you. Okay, Boris Johnson wanted to be injected with COVID live on live TV. <laughs> I love this story. I love, I love this, this story, story so, so much. much. Because like, why? <laughs> what do, you know, what would that have achieved? I, I honestly find it so funny. Obviously, this has come out as part of the, the UK's inquiry into how they handled COVID. Um, and, you know, you just have all these WhatsApp texts between all these government ministers and advisors that just are revealing the most ridiculous things in the world. Yeah, I think this is this is the top. Like, this, this is, is my favorite. Best. Yeah. Boris Johnson literally proposed going on live television, not to be vaccinated, but to be injected with COVID. Mm-hmm. What would that achieve? <laughs> you know, like what? Like, is that is it to tell? Is it to reassure people at home? that having COVID is fine because yeah. that would be ridiculous. I, I honestly, I honestly just don't know. And it's, it's, I was actually chatting to a friend about this just, you know, uh, before we started recording and, and they were just making the point that it's almost comforting to know that Boris Johnson is as much of an oaf in private as he is <laughs> in public. It's like almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because sometimes I think people have been like, Oh no, he's like, this is a role he plays. He plays this like, b- <laughs> you know, lovable buffoon kind of thing. No, no. I really think that's who he is. Like, I really think that's who he is. And- I, 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 this is certainly strong evidence in favor of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I have to say this, you know, obviously not making light of the seriousness of the COVID uh, pandemic. It was it had awful consequences and obviously so many people lost their lives. But this inquiry has really served up some, you know, peak ludicrous behavior from the UK government. Um, and it has been wildly entertaining. Um, and if- then finally... In good news, a lovely thing happened this week. We could see the Northern Lights in Ireland. Yes, a lot of beautiful photographs. Um, I did not see the Northern Lights rage, but I I don't think I don't think we get them in Dublin. I mm, think it's we're too bright. Of, that's it. It's, I think it's Donegal tends to get them. Yeah, but um, they they could see them in Kildare this week. No way! I didn't yeah. even see that. That's that's amazing. I only and know I just, because my friend sent me a photo that her brother took from a farm in Kildare. And yeah. I was like, wow, this is wild. I kind of didn't believe it, but um, but it, it was true. I think uh, talking about the like the Northern Lights is is a very funny thing to do via podcast, like via an, an audio medium. I know. <laughs> it's just like just sort of describing the Northern Lights. Well, I um, just kind of wanted to acknowledge <laughs> that something nice happened because at the moment it's feeling very tricky and it doesn't feel like there's a lot of nice things happening. And this was just a nice thing served up by nature. Yes. Beautiful. I saw a really funny tweet, which I mean, it's not a scientific tweet or anything like that, which is a really funny tweet from someone who is like an Aurora Borealis truther. And they were just <laughs> like, yes, all of the photos of the Irish Northern Lights are lovely, but I don't believe you actually saw that. Like I think this person's argument was that just like, their photos were like kind of enhanced or something yeah but i 
think it's it's so funny the idea of people pretending they've seen the northern lights is, is very me. well i have um, to say and I, I like if you are um an internet person if you spend a s- disgusting amount of time on the internet then if you didn't have a moment where you were like mm, it's probably fake then you know i don't know what's going on with you because i definitely had that moment but there are too many too many of the photos i yes. think for it not yeah. to be real and I am, for one, I'm happy for each and every person who had that experience. And I'm also happy for everyone who forked out to go to see the Northern Lights in, where do you normally see them? I saw in Greenland. Um, I, I, I forked out to go see them in Iceland and I didn't get to see them because the weather was too bad. And oh. it was one of the most disappointing. I mean, Iceland was obviously still lovely. But that's the the reason I went was definitely to see the Northern Lights. And it was just too cloudy. Yeah, because that uh, happens a lot, doesn't it? And then I saw a few oh, people going, are you kidding me? You're telling me I went to Iceland. I spent all that money. I spent all that time and I could have just gone to Kildare. And I did yeah. get a little bit of kind of schadenfreude from that, I have to admit. <laughs> okay, Carl Kinsler, where can people find you? Um, yeah, I have a column every Saturday morning on the journal.ie called Surreeling in the Years, which is we take a look at the kind of strangest stories from Ireland and often across the globe now, you know, increasingly. And you can also find me on Twitter at TV's Carl Kinsella. Love that. Thank you so much, Carl. Last week on the podcast, you will have heard that stalking has become a standalone offence in Ireland. And immediately when I read that, I thought we should get Eve McDowell on the podcast because Eve is the co-founder of Stalking Ireland. And she was very much at the heart of the campaign to get stalking recognised as a standalone offence. And her work is so impressive based on her own horrendous experience of stalking she managed to turn it into something powerful and something that has really and truly affected change and the story of how she did that is really moving Um, definitely a bit of a content warning here if you're someone who has experienced stalking and you don't feel like you can quite you know sit with someone else's experience of stalking today so just keep that in mind but um, I do think that what she has to say is very powerful and I was so grateful to her for chatting to me this week. Eve McDowell, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate you making the time for me because I know you have been incredibly busy. But last week when we talked on the podcast in the news section about the new legislation, which makes stalking a standalone offense, I immediately thought I have to talk to Eve McDowell because you have been working on this for years. Tell people a little bit about how it is that you came to be focused on this issue. Okay, well, so I suppose I have my own personal experience of stalking and then from that, like through the reporting stage and inquiring about a restraining order, I found out that they don't exist in Ireland Mm. and that there was no law that said that stalking was a crime. Mm. Um, And the guards at the time explained to me that um, in some cases can be prosecuted under harassment but that it can be quite hard to prosecute. Mm. Um, and just the harassment legislation that was there was quite outdated, like it was 1997 harassment. And then I saw Coco's Law did come in um, after 2020, um, which was really, really important for image-based sexual abuse and more online forms of harassment. Mm. But again, there was no specific mention of stalking and how nuanced it can be. Mm. Um, so I suppose... Um, you know, that always sat at the back of my mind, but I was so focused on trying to get over my own case and my own trauma and work through things myself mm. that I really didn't, I suppose, touch it or have an interest in going public with my story. Because especially when you've experienced something 
like that, like the thoughts of being perceived by the outside world are terrifying mm. Mm. and not like knowing who's listening to it or knowing if my stalker was going to be listening to it or my own story um, that, you know, made me really hesitant to ever get into things. Yeah, and that then- makes total sense. Sorry, just to interrupt you for a second. That makes total sense because like I've never been stalked, but I have had situations where like I was robbed at gunpoint working in a video shop back when video shops were a thing. And I remember afterwards that feeling of the person who who robbed us was wearing a, a mask. So I couldn't see him. I didn't know what he looked like. And that feeling of it didn't last very long for me, fortunately, but that feeling of that could be you, that could be you, you could be here, you could be on this bus, you could be around this corner. That is a horrible feeling. And I can only imagine that if you have the experience of being stalked, it's like obviously a hundred times worse than that and probably lasts for a really long time. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. Especially like when you're doing things online as well, because you Mm. can have like every privacy setting on or and things like that but like if you're looking to actually like be vocal about an issue and like trying to convince politicians and the public why this is so like necessary it's really necessary in a way to be public about it so it was it it can be really hard to like find that balance and even still on nights out and stuff like that I'll be on the night out and I'll have someone come up to me and maybe disclose that they're being stalked or being like uh, always have people come up to me and say you're the stalking girl oh my god no (laughs) you don't realize (laughs) you know you kind of want to be incognito in one sense Mm -hmm. um but then like have a story out there in another sense so I find like I struggled with getting that balance and I still struggle with getting that balance I think yeah um but for people to listen they needed to hear the depths of my case and the impacts of my case um, but yeah, it wasn't until I seen a clip of Una Ring on the Claire Byrne show that I was like, wow, someone has gone through a similar case mm. uh, that I have. Um, and at that stage, I managed to get in contact with Una. We had a really good phone call and we were like, oh, thank God. I was like, thank God I'm not the only one. And she mm. was like, I know that's what I was thinking. I thought I was the only one. Um, so then we decided to go public together to try mm. and, um, you know, help get people to understand that there needs to be more awareness about this because mm. um, there was very little support. Like, I mean, we both like had to take time off of work. It impacts you financially. You're paying for counselling. It like puts a big stop on your life. And, you know, even going through the court process, you know, that's a whole other trauma in itself that yeah. completely needs a rehaul. Would you mind sharing just whatever you're comfortable with sharing about your experience that that kind of put you in the middle of this? Yeah, so I was a student back in 2019 in University of Galway. I was in student accommodation and I had like a big enough friend group. And, you know, within that friend group, there was loads of subsets, I suppose. So anytime that there was pre-drinks and things like that, you'd have quite a mixed group of people there. Mm. Um, So my stalker, you know, started off as just like one of these people that would have been at the pre-drinks. Um, I had a friend who was going out with a guy who was friends with someone who went to school with them like it was that far distant but Galway's so small you kind of cross paths with yeah. people all the time um <laughs> I used to live there I know I know exactly what you yeah. mean <laughs> yeah there's no <laughs> avoiding people town. in Galway really yeah no. mm. um so yeah I mean then there was rumors that he wanted to ask me to the engineering ball and I was like oh god what am I gonna say I never directly asked me so I was like okay that's that's fine. But there was a couple of incidences where I felt that he was popping up a lot in places that I didn't ex- expect to see him because mm. uh, he lived on the other side. Although it's small, he lived on the other side of the city. So yeah. he'd be like out- outside the shop on one side of the city when he lived on the other side. Yeah. So I was like, why is he at this little when he could be at the other little? The one by know, his house. Thing? Yeah. 
yeah things just didn't make sense like that and then it escalated from you know he used to uh, come into the shop that I worked in a lot of the time and buy clothes from there mm. um and he would have had you know basic kind of chit chat no real asking for details he wasn't really messaging me um but he stopped coming into the shop and he just kept walking past the shop mm. and I was like okay that's weird but mm. you know he's probably just in town and then there was one day that he walked past the shop, shop like six or seven times, went on my lunch, seen him again, finished work, went to the pub, seen him in that pub. We moved pubs. He showed up in the other pub. But anytime I'd go to kind of confront him or ask him about something, he'd just scurry away. So things like this just catch. Like, yeah. And were you him. at this point, were you saying to your friends, like, I keep seeing this guy, like, this is really weird. And and were yeah. they were they in agreement well, they, yeah, like they all knew him as well. They were like, God, you know, he's a bit odd. And we've mm. heard that he fancies you. And I'm like, well, he hasn't directly asked anything. Yeah. But, you know, everyone was like, oh, you know, he's a bit, because he was socially, quite socially awkward. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we didn't, I suppose, pass much heat. But that day where he had been passing the shop loads and then in the pubs and stuff, we went, went to McDonald's at the end of the night. And I jokingly said, watch, well, he's going to pop up again now. And then he did. He was outside. So, me and my friend followed him and confronted him. Mm. Um, and she was like, what are you doing? Why are you following Eve? And he got up and he just put his like finger to his mouth and went like, shh, and ran away laughing. Oh and my God. At that point, I was like, okay, now I'm scared. Yeah. Um, and I kind of just shouted at him. I was like, you're not doing a very good job of hiding. I can spot you a mile away with that beard. And then within two days, he was outside my bedroom window with his beard shaved off his eyebrows shaved off and his hair shaved off oh my god my heart just dropped when you said outside your bedroom window Eve yeah. what did you do uh, that's the point where I rang the guards like in yeah. hindsight and if I knew anyone like going through those earlier stages now I'd be like you know have your incident report ready and like have a timeline of everything and have your evidence but like at the time I was like oh nothing's gonna happen everyone yeah. was like oh he's a bit odd but he's just harmless but at that point, and let's be honest this the very unfortunate truth is that most women will have had an experience where someone was being kind of weird and it yeah. doesn't always turn into what it turned into in your case so you know I can completely understand that you didn't um you didn't know then what you know now yeah, and also I was like, oh, I don't want to bother the guards or waste anybody's time. And I don't know if I'm being over dramatic here, yeah. but we all think like, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then that was the first time I rang the guards, and they said that they'd go and speak to him. Um, and I was just kind of feeling like I needed to get out of Galway at that point, so I went home for a week, and I was like, okay, look, they've spoken to him. Maybe that's it now. Yeah. And the first day I came back, he was outside the house again. Oh my so god! So like no like can't do this so rang the guards again and they came and they took a statement off me and a few people and this is now like nearly I suppose I know that summarizes quick but over a year yeah um, of these like behaviors kind of happening and within 24 hours then he um broke into the house and he attacked my housemate with a hammer um and they found a knife and viagra outside of the house so he was arrested then from that point mm. um but then it took like another year for him to be charged with anything um and he was charged with aggravated burglary was kind of the main sentence but i suppose what, what i felt was like the whole way through the court process process there was a focus on that night yeah whereas there was no you know, there was like mentions of what had happened in the lead up and things like that. But even like the knife and the Viagra, because there was no fingerprints on them, that wasn't counted yeah. as evidence. So he's actually out of prison now. Yeah. Um. Which So it does not seem like that long no. at all. 
Um, That's, I mean, how does it, how are you? Like, how do you feel? Because I can't imagine what that's like. You know, there must have been a comfort in the fact that he was in prison. Now he's not you know I yeah. I know you've done a lot of work to to be okay um but that's still yeah. got to be tough well it took until nearly like <laughs> I only feel like I felt like he was actually secure and in prison like up until like two months to his release because right. it takes so long for your brain to process and as well like there were so many rumors going around Galway that like people had spotted him and that he had gotten out and then I'll be waiting to hear back from guards and then them being so busy and not being able to get through to the station. It was just this constant like So you didn't and... know when he was getting out? So yeah, then that that was a whole other situation. So um I was told that I was told a certain date and then I heard nothing and it was coming up to six months mm. pre-release. And then um I started a master's last August. Um with the intention of like my class time being finished by the time that he got out of prison so that I could leave Galway Mm. and then um, I contacted the Irish prison service and my detective and the gate came back to me with two different dates Um, both dates were a couple of months earlier than planned Um, so smack bang like when I was in the second semester of my master's he was released and like, you know, I had to come up with a safety plan and like go into hiding and things like that for oh my God. a few weeks just in case, because my thoughts was there's no rehabilitation in prison. Yeah. I was so worried that he was just like sitting in there waiting, you know, expe- waiting to get out and come straight for me. But yeah. um, thankfully, I haven't seen him. Um, But yeah, just the whole way through, I just like you're constantly being let down by the system from like you know, the first stage of reporting, the fact there wasn't a statement taken at the very start. Mm. And, you know, that I've found the attitude um, from certain guards towards me that I just wasn't taken seriously. Or, you know, they were like this whole thing of, oh, but were you seeing him and were you sleeping with him? Um, What was really going on? And even if I was. Yeah, it still wouldn't be okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think as well, the question that I had, because I was obviously reading, preparing for this is if he hadn't actually broken into the house and attacked your housemate, he, I presume, based on the old laws, could have kept doing what he was doing for a long time before there might have been any consequences, if there were any consequences, because legally what he was doing was kind of falling between two What's the expression? Stools? Whatever it is. <laughs> Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, because I just hit the point where I was like, okay, something has to happen before something can happen. Yeah. So it reached a point where I was like waiting for something worse to happen Jesus. so that action could be taken. Um, and even at that, like, I thought I thought that I had a no contact order for five years post-release. And I found out when he was getting out of prison that I didn't have that. So I have like nothing now really protecting me um, from him, which is why why don't you have that like so that was something that was discussed around sentencing was it yeah um I don't to be honest I don't know like even being involved in like drafting legislation and now like I'm working um in the University of Galway with active consent like I'd be like well versed on laws and the nitty-gritty of policy and procedures and things like that but when you're in that like vulnerable state and going through the court system it's really hard to understand anything that's happening. Like for me, it was a lot of, I have to say there was like a certain few journalists that really, really helped me 
Mm. throughout those stages like Yvonne Murray was one of them she used to come up to me at the end of court cases and explain to me what had just happened because I would leave and be like I have no idea what just went on in there yeah um and as well it was another journalist who um found out his actual release date for me and the fact that I couldn't find a release date from the IPS or from um the detective that was in charge of my case it was a journalist that was able to figure out his release date for me that is wild yeah, which is just shows how inaccessible things are for victims and survivors. And I'll always use that kind of term interchangeably because especially as you go through that journey, the victim's journey, as they call it, like you do some days you're like, oh, I feel like I've gotten over this. And then other days you flop back down and it's like, oh, yeah. I'm back here again. Like it's yeah. not an easy road. So I just like when me and Una were speaking, we were like, OK, if we go public with our stories, if that means that one less person has to wait until it gets to the stage that our cases did yeah um then it'll be worth it yeah. so and you guys put in so much work to develop this legislation and how did it feel last week to finally see it come to fruition oh relief i think mm. i think we were so exhausted that it was just like oh finally mm. um you know I kind of thought that there'd be a big celebration and I'd organise some big event, but I was just like, no, I want to watch Netflix and be in my pajamas. I'm so tired. Yeah. But um, I can really relate to that. Yeah. 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 And so in terms of your experience, what will be different now? Just if we use your experience as like uh, an example, what will be Mm -hmm. different now for people if they go to the guards with a similar experience to you? So if they go now, so... There is one part of the legislation we're still waiting to get through, and that's the civil protection orders. So they're basically a restraining order. And to apply for one of those, you don't have to wait until your case gets to a guilty verdict, Mm. um, which is really important because um, a lot of people would have to wait until that stage of the process, whereas now it kind of acts as a mitigating factor. And if that is broken, then action can be taken a lot sooner and there is actually some sort of legal protection there. Yeah. And as well, like you can report someone for stalking because as well, if you're looking at resources um, for people who are experiencing like domestic, sexual, gender based violence, a lot of funding is allocated based on the prevalence of those cases. Mm. Whereas because there was no stalking law, there was no No evidence of stalking cases. Mm. So um, that's like obviously something that needs to be looked at next is the support for people that are going to be using this. But. I mean, yeah, it's it's there and the, the list as well of behaviours are non-exhaustive, mm-hmm. which means that like we have examples of stalking behaviours in the law, but it that list isn't like the final kind of list or yeah. st- stalking's not like other crimes or um, in, like things that happen because, you know, with even with like sexual harassment, you could have a list of behaviours and you could nearly look and say, okay, yeah, mine counts as that, mine counts as that. But yeah. with stalking, instead of it being certain behaviors it's like a pattern of behaviors yeah so it's a pattern of behaviors that are fixated obsessive unwanted and repeated so that can look so different in every case even though like Una's case and my case had so many similarities there Mm. were so many differences as well she had loads of messages she had letters to her house her property was damaged Mm. Uh, in my case it was just the presence of someone and then you have cases where it's completely online and you've cases where it's a mix between online and in person um so we really wanted to make sure that that was captured in the legislation as well and one thing that una really fought hard, hard for was a threat to pets because um in quite a lot of cases that seems to come in where people 
threaten people's pets and it's you know it's something that you love so dearly and part of the family yeah um and she used to have to get up in the morning and check that there was no poison out for her dogs and things like that um so it really does impact every area of your life um so yeah we really just hope that this gets used properly now and that there is you know proper training put in place yeah by the guards to understand this because um because it's not you can't just hand someone a sheet and say this is stalking yeah you need to like it's looking for that pattern yeah. um which can be difficult and i think that's why there's so so much confusion around the topic in the mm-hmm. area mm-hmm. um even in pop culture as well like if you look back on some of the you know most famous romantic movies of all times you see like intense stalking behaviors the whole way through like even the notebook yeah um was one of them um yeah, I was people talking- who don't take no for an answer yeah exactly and this like continuous like trying trying and what's really dangerous about them is in the in the end of these like films and tv shows a lot of the time um the woman does say yes and she falls in love but in real life that's not what happens so yeah it's kind of it's teaching young men that they have to be really persistent to show that they love someone or that no might mean a not now when in real yeah. life that that doesn't mean that yeah I mean I just think it's incredible that you managed to use your experience to create something that will protect other women like I I know it's probably hard for you to maybe feel how significant that is but you know on behalf of women can I just say thank you because not only have you done something incredible but also you did it at the time when it was probably the most difficult for you to do it because you did have to be out there on public and you know I can only imagine how challenging that was as you said in the context of what you just been through so I hope if you don't feel it now I hope you can feel real proud proud for yourself because you should be so proud of what you've done and what you've done with Una. Thanks. Yeah, I think it'll take a while to set in because people say this to me. I'm like, but it's just me. I know. You know and I suppose that kind of like it. If it kind of proves that I was, I always say like, if I could do that, then if anyone is passionate enough about something, um, it can be scary and it can be tiring, and at times you kind of feel like, why is this worth it? Are we going to get anywhere? But mm. um, we were really lucky and and just pushing through, and the fact that there has been proper change now, um. It makes what we went through worth it. Yeah, well, fair play to you. I know there'll be so many women listening, just like punching the air with pride um, of what you've achieved. Thank you so much for giving me your time as well. I know it's probably not easy to talk about this stuff and I'm asking you to do it. <laughs> but I really do appreciate it because I think it helps people to understand, you know, the significance of this yeah. and why it's so important. Yeah, no, it is. It is so important. So no, look, I am glad to share and it's always good to hear that it's helping other people. Thanks a million, Eve. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I heard someone on News Talk reading out something this week that said that people who are interested in like showbiz and celebs have been found based on some research campaign which like undoubtedly spoke to like 15 people on the street somewhere but anyway there was a headline that some research had indicated that we were stupid and never before have I felt so confident in the fact that actually we are clever because my god was I grateful for the escapism of talking about the celebs this week I mean you just It is just such a joy to delve into a world of things that actually aren't that important, you know, when you can. And this week's celebrity stories certainly included plenty of things that are really not that important, but that were really, really fun to talk about. And one thing that I think is quite important, that's the number one story that you'll hear at the top here. I was grateful to Esther O'More Donoghue for chatting through the stories with me this week. Esther O'More Donoghue. Louise McSherry. It is lovely to be in your home and to see your new couch in situ. Have you not seen this before? I've seen the couch, but it previously was upended in the other room. Yes. It hadn't moved into its home. Well, here it is, my little baby blue couch to match my baby blue eyes. I don't have baby blue eyes. I have blue eyes. What color is baby blue eyes? We don't know. We move on. There's a couch. I think we've talked about this couch before. People are really like, shut up with the couch. No. Maybe we need to show them a picture of the couch. That's... Would it be okay? Can I take a picture of the couch before I leave? And then people will have a visual. Absolutely. I'll post it on my Instagram. Um, (laughs) Well, we are here to talk about the celebrities. And I have to say, there is one big story this week. And I was just... I mean, I felt like... They, they sensed that I personally needed a lift and they decided to do this for me. It was a little pep that you needed in your staff I in needed, a world of bleakness. I needed something. And this, this I think, was, was it. I mean, look, it hasn't solved everything, but it certainly gave me a, a moment's joy. It solved a lot of things. But it's not official, this news. No. But it's probably, there's sources speaking left, right and centre. So, Girls Aloud have returned. They're back. They're coming back. <sighs> Allegedly, reportedly, supposedly. Yeah. So this band, if you have never heard of Girls Night, formed in 2002 on ITV's Pop Stars, The Rivals. if you've never heard of Girls Aloud. Well, you know what? It's a cultural artifact some people might not have because they haven't been together for a long time. Anyway, they became really famous. Yes, they did. They were nominated for Brit Awards. um, But apparently they've secretly reformed and they filmed a brand new Wonder Woman themed video ahead of a full album and a reunion tour. And um, apparently the video, the source also said that there was a, you know, a tribute to the late band, their late bandmate, Sarah Harding, who died in 2021 at the age of 39. Mm. Um, it's going to be their first single in 11 years. And there's going to be capes in the video, a lot of twirling. And I mean, what a joyful thing. See, the thing is, I initially was like single tribute to Sarah Harding. OK, one off. Mm-hmm. I was like, lovely idea. 
Then I saw album and tour. I did not know if I would ever live to see. <laughs> oh, God. I just, would you ever see the day? I didn't know if I would ever live to see the day that I would get to go and see them again. But I want to tell you, this source is working overtime. The, they revealed, quote, They've got a single and a video in the can. In the can, Louise. That's industry speak. Yeah. Plans for a full record of new music. Plans for a full record of new music. Not a partial record. A full record of new music. And for the fans, the most exciting thing will be the massive reunion tour. Yes, that's great. So, uh, but they go into this forensic detail. The four band members were driven to a North London location to film the video. Yes. It goes on and uh, goes on on like this. Excuse me. This just sounds like good, good (laughs) journalism. Exactly. Yeah. They've got boots on the ground and they're looking at what's happening. And they reunited in October last year to attend a charity ball in honour of Sarah um, who had encouraged them you know to come together uh, to raise funds to fight um, the disease and they've obviously had conversations they're like let's do this let's bring the magic back Um, there is uh, on their Instagram account official Instagram account again no word but they have they did uh, post a video saying ready to see the show like you've never seen it before emoji of eyes the music video is now remastered in 4k on the girls allowed youtube link in bio so they're just kind of and the comments are just on fire oh this is exciting they're teasing they're re- getting pre- they're prepping us and then my brother uh, tagged me in uh, the nadine coil now twitter account <laughs> yes. who said and i'm just going to approximate an accent I'm a voiceover, you know, I'm available for dairy accents and you should hire someone else. Please follow May Band. This is how it's written. At Girls Aloud. We have an album coming out 16th of the 623. Make an ut a Gemini. Hashtag be May album. <laughs> be May album. Oh yeah, her I saw she also tweeted, can a computer gay come over and tell us because we can't figure out how to put a song up on Spotify. But Kimberly written, was trying to put the yeah. up on Spotify, but you know. I love it. So, uh, yeah, the the world is a flutter and a flitter. But just to just to like girls aloud are a big deal, not just because culturally they have been they've provided us with many moments of amusement. If you've never seen the video of Cheryl hungover when they were on <laughs> tour, I just <laughs> highly recommend it. Google it. Um, but who's she giving out? They've got wardrobe. I oh yeah, is that yeah. that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, herself and Kimberly. Yeah, is it clothes. herself and Nicola? Yeah, she's annoyed she has to wear her own clothes, and the other girls have got wardrobe. Yeah, it's all just brilliant. It's brilliant. But they also were um, the United Kingdom's biggest selling girl group of the 21st century, and <laughs> um, like they sold so much music. They have had so many hits. Seven certified albums of which two reach number one they have had 20 consecutive top 10 singles in the united kingdom when they were releasing music that's 20 consecutive top 10 that is wild and they just deliver pop goodness and i just am thrilled like i just cannot wait to go to that concert i will sell like feck taylor swift not feck taylor swift i do actually genuinely really want to really want to go to that yeah but Girls Aloud, that is going to be a night to remember will they all swan dive off the top of a high riser we don't know. We know that's really Cheryl's move, but, you know. We'll just have to wait and see. I'm thrilled. And um, now, moving on to, <laughs> to this next story. I really wanted to talk about this just because of the fan response. So Harry Styles has been photographed with a shorn head. <laughs> yes, that's right. Shaven locks. Yeah. And as you can imagine, his fans are responding in a completely normal way. Yeah, he was spotted at a Taylor Swift, uh, w- spotted at a U2 concert in Las Vegas. That's another one I'd like to go to. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about it here myself yeah. and Emery. I'd love to go. I want to see the sphere. It's gone until January. But I, I looked at the tickets after you mentioned that they're 
mucho expensive but look what price is an experience of your lifetime if you have you know get the credit in and out anyway he was spotted in Las Vegas at the U2 concert that you want to go to and I'm going to throw myself in there as well yeah (laughs) can we get three tickets please if anyone's (laughs) listening why not four counting my dad Okay, four. All right, four. Me, Esther, Emer, and my dad want to go to U2 in Vegas, and even okay? four. Yeah. Um, and we want to see the Hoover Dam maybe when we're in the area. Might as well. Drive sure. out to the Grand Canyon. Let's Why go. Why not? Um, so Taylor Swift was there. Were they together at the concert? No. Anyway, so yeah, they've lost their minds. But I think it is, it is um, yeah, the Twitter response is so funny. One person commented, how can Harry Styles be Harry Styles if he has no hair to style? Well... I mean, she's asking the important question. It really is. Um, and then you see, so there's the Harry stands and then there's the Taylor stands. And they're saying that um, she recently released her version of 1989 um, with a song that is previously, that's believed to be about uh, Harry Styles. And um, yeah, she she's doing her, this sorry, thing. Yeah. She's re-recording her albums because of the yeah. whole ownership thing, which we respect. And every time she releases a new album, she releases these like bonus tracks that are songs from the time that she was writing the album that didn't make it on. And one of them is ostensibly about Harry yeah, Styles. So the song question is, now that we don't talk, a vault track it's been uh, described as. So the, the lyrics are, get ready for this. Let's decipher the codes within. You grew your hair long. You got new icons. And from the outside, it looks like your trying lives on. I miss the old ways. You didn't have to change. But I guess I don't have a say now that we don't talk. So maybe Harry heard those, read the lyrics and was like, get me to the barbershop. Shave that off, baby. Let's create a bit of viral heat. This is what they're saying. And it's so goss because to me, it seems obvious that he's gotten a hair transplant. Oh, I didn't think about that. I thought it was like a film role. No, I reckon he's gotten a hair transplant because his beautiful hair, Uh and I love him, but he d- there's definitely been a bit of recession in the old hairline. Okay, Do you know what I mean? Look at the image. And he still looks great, but I think he's not technically in the public eye at the moment. I think he decided, let's get a few L hair plugs while I'm off the radar slightly. Mm-hmm. And uh, what you have to do if you want to do that is shave your head. Okay. I know because my dear pal James Kavanagh has had two hair transplants. Okay. Which he talks about openly on his... Uh, social media so yes we see, which is the, why the, i say it with no disrespect no i mean if i was a man and i was losing my hair i would one million percent be getting a hair transplant why not yeah i had braces twice on my teeth not exactly my head. Yeah. in this day and age get in what you this want. economy do what you want so i didn't know about that interesting but it is more interesting to look at the unhinged comments yes <laughs> it is <laughs> and then someone another person said i can't sleep because the streets are saying harry styles buzzed his hair one emotional person wrote while well, another de- devastated fan called it the worst day ever. <laughs> it's just, I, like I saw some really some TikToks of some genuinely like upset people. You kind of want to go, guys. Like whatever about being an obsessive fan of someone. No, well, not obsessive, but whatever about being a huge fan of someone, right? Like it's his hair. <laughs> it's, yeah. Like it's it's temporary, no matter what it is. Yeah. And like he looks good and and also we're operating off of one very blurry (laughs) photograph. And that's enough to put in a podcast. That's fine. But um, so, yeah, so I thought it was fun because he did cut his hair off um, for for Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk. Mm. But his quote at the time was, I didn't think about it too much, he told E! News after the film had premiered. I assumed when auditioning for the movie based on World War II, I'd probably have to have a trim. He's so cool. I've given you two great accents in this episode. You have. Thank you. I mean, honestly. You're welcome. I look forward to the invoice. Okay. 
uh, let's talk about the Beatles, um, famously always coming up in this podcast. <laughs> if we're not talking about the fucking Beatles, what is this? Um, but they are back. Um, <laughs> they too, like Girls Aloud, have decided to reform and give us new music. If you haven't heard the Beatles, they're a band. They were formed in Liverpool in the 60s as four of them. Very remaining. popular they at the time. Very popular. You might have heard the music in Lyfts or in the supermarket or whatever. But so, yeah, they've got... They've uh, come out with this single, first single in decades now and then, and the video. Have you watched the video? I have. It's. I mean, the reason I wanted to talk about this is because it is really interesting what they can do with AI. Like the video is is wild because yeah. it combines kind of the 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 guys who are alive. They are Ringo and Paul are Ringo there Paul. in yeah. live action. Uh, and then the other members of the Beatles are there via AI um, or like computer generated people. And it's very convincing. Yeah, you know, it's very good. I mean, so if you, Apple on, I think it was, was it last year? Could have been longer. Mm-hmm. Peter Jackson, who was the director of all the Lord of the Rings films, um, put together this documentary featuring their last session together as a foursome before the band broke up. And it's amazing. And even if it's just a phenomenal a piece of work. So he, they, they got on the phone to Peter Jackson and said, what can we do? There was some um, audio of John Lennon recording a demo and they isolated the vocal and they managed to do through X's and O's with laptop computers and whatnot and AI, as he said, put together this beautiful thing. And so, yeah, it is, I mean, for, it, it's a beautiful thing because it's like, I can't imagine like, you know, uh, John Lennon and Paul McCartney met when they were so young to see their older and younger versions all in the same place. Yeah. Your friend who you haven't seen who's been dead for, you know, for you know, multiple decades and whatever. And yeah, so they've they've made this thing and I, I, I got emotional watching it and um and I wouldn't be a huge I mean, I'm a Beatles fan because they're just they're there, they're part yeah. of the, the culture, or whatever. Um and so, you know, they've said this is the final single, but Peter Jackson has said in an interview that maybe they, if now that they've done this once, there could be other demos and, you know, things that they can maybe possibly release more. Yeah. Um, pieces yeah. of work in the future. I mean, I think there is a conversation to be had about when, when this is appropriate, because it's not always appropriate. But this whole thing was kind of commandeered by Yoko. Um, so people are like, oh my God, Yoko Ono brought the Beatles back together. <laughs> um, but if, you know, the people involved, you know, if trusted loved ones of the people involved approve and if everyone's kind of hearts in the right place, it does seem like a beautiful thing to do. But I think we're going to see a lot of debate about what is appropriate, what's okay and what's not okay over the next forever. Yeah. Well, I'm sh- they've got they've got enough, you know, of power and they're smart people and they've worked, they've had, you know, good lawyers with them throughout their careers. So they will, they'll put things in place that means that it won't be abused. Yeah. But, um, yeah. It, but you know what it made when I was watching it, I got little tears like, what is life? What is time? Our youth. Our youth! And, you know, <laughs> you start having a little weep there and you're like, oh, I have to go to Little now do the shops. But I was thinking about, remember during one, of, I don't know what year it was, pandemic, when that guard, when the guardie came out with that video of Jerusalem. <gasps> I watched it again after I watched now and then and I was like oh my god I, I was when I was still in my job I got in the work whatsapp I was like oh Jesus Christ I'm crying because there's a guard bopping around on oath head <laughs> and I was watching it again some of them took their socks off some of them were Irish dancing what a wild thing like what and a I know, time I mean we were all absolutely like bonkers so at funny. that time so the Guardi have their legacy and so do the Beatles it's true 
It's true. There's no arguing with that. Thank you. Um, now, I wanted to talk about BravoCon um, because I know that many listeners of the podcast are big fans of um, Bravo, Hey You, of the Housewives and the Housewives spin-off programs. And um, BravoCon is the conference which brings all of those things together. And it happened over the weekend in Las Vegas and it looked amazing. It's bonkers. We know we should go. Th- and I think we could probably work this out. This could be an expense. Oh, I'm going next year. Okay. I've decided. But you see, that the thing is though, I didn't realize how expensive it is. Yeah. So you wouldn't want expensive. It's five hundred and fifty euro for three for the three day event for if you're a regular pleb pleb. It's one point two k for future Bravo Lab tickets plus taxes and charges. But you can get in there for on one day tickets for two hundred fifty euro. Anyway, it's a three day thing. It looked bananas when you if you as I said, as you said if you're part of the into the Bravo universe when you scroll down through all the people are going to turn up. It's amazing. It's, it's everyone. Like, it's everyone. And I think it's so funny that I was scrolling down through, just looking at all the faces, you know, the housewives and da, da, da. And then it's like, how in this world do we, do I, could I recognise the face of Frank Catania, a 58-year-old builder from New Jersey? <laughs> yeah. But I can. Or John Fuda. <laughs> if John Fuda walked by me in the street, wouldn't turn, wouldn't know. But in the, when you yeah. put him beside everyone else yeah. and Dorinda, you're like, oh yeah, John Fuda. Yeah. But it's like Disneyland for, for Bravo Yeah this is the heads. thing And like the whole thing Seems so kind of camp And tongue in cheek And like really knowing Of you know How kind of ridiculous It all is There's loads of random Celebrity Or like marketing tie-ins yeah. So like Lisa Barlow From the Real Housewives Of Salt Lake City Loves Diet Coke And she's often seen With like a big giant Diet Coke That she's gone through A drive through and gotten mm-hmm. So she partnered With Wendy's So basically Every time she appeared Anywhere She was carrying This like bejeweled Wendy's Diet Coke cup Amazing like JLo. JLo loves the bejeweled cups. She does. Um, and like Ariana and Katie's something about, about her restaurant had paired up with, I think, Lay's crisps to have like a special Lay's crisp every day, like a crisp of the day. There was so much of that sh- like stuff going on, yeah. which I think is gas. But what I loved this year watching was the panels. Uh-huh. So they do these panels yeah. Where you get all the, there loads of them. So you get like, there's one for each program and then they do, they mix them up, mix up the casts for like various different topics. And then like regular ticket buying people get to go and sit in the audience and they get to ask questions. (laughs) And this is where it got exciting for me. Did you see what went down with the New Jersey Housewives? I didn't see it. No, I didn't have a chance. I didn't see it. I was (gasps) bet into Bravo's reels because in the New Jersey Housewives panel, one woman stood up and said, um, asked Jennifer Aiden, how how did it feel to be so far up Teresa's ass? Someone else stood up and asked Louis, Teresa's partner, to explain in 10 words or less what he does for a living. Someone like, and, and on the Teresa's, being up Teresa's ass question, Teresa and Jennifer both got up and were really pissed off. And like the, the audience were not on their team. The audience was like on the team of the girl in the audience. Like it was hostile and wildly entertaining. Oh no, I want to see that. Oh, I'll send you the links. Yeah. Now it's not all like that. You know, a lot of it's, you know, normal, nice stuff, but, uh-huh. it, but it just, it, it's, it's fascinating as a concept. It's fascinating to yeah. me that this franchise and this TV channel has become so significant in people's lives that they can do this and take over Las Vegas for three days and and make a lot of money doing it. Yeah, because apparently there's over 25,000 people attending. And at, at, at that even cost. if we go to, to the, everyone's doing a one-day ticket, 250, it's nearly over 6 million. Wow. 
I'd happily contribute. I know. Where's my money? I actually you was jealous. and BravoCon universe. Because they pull in like a lot of Bravo commentators, like Bravo people who host podcasts about Bravo and who write about mm-hmm. Bravo and stuff. And they pull them all in to host the panels. And I was like, God damn it. If I was in America, I could, I would be hosting one of those panels. Yeah, well, you know, ask, believe, receive. Um, the other thing is that, um, yeah, no, there was someone, so on the Hollywood Reporter, maybe I'll send you the link later on, someone went to it for three days and did a diary of it. It's brilliant. And I want to just tell you what they said. Where can I get this little quote at the top? His name's Mikey O'Connell. He said, day three, 9.45 a.m., there is not one atom of my being that longs to remain in Las Vegas or at BravoCon, but there is a panel called Pat the Puss and I am a professional. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, and in fairness to Mikey Connell, he was all up for but like three days of it, like yeah. fully and where he went, he was doing day to night. I know. Because he was covering it for, but I was so funny. Patrick Havana from Stellar Magazine was there as well. And um, I know, I know Esther. <laughs> I know. Um, and <gasps> this is why I feel like I've got the route to go next year. I'm, I'm I'm, making it happen. But anyway, Patrick was there and I actually bumped into him yesterday. But I didn't get, we were in a group. I didn't get to You needed get to one on one time to give me the yeah, deets. because I need to know, I need to know, did he reach the end of his Bravo tether or did he have a ball? I mean, he definitely had a ball, but like he got to, he got to chat to loads of them. I really enjoyed it. He asked Heather Dubrow about getting kicked out of Brian Thomas and she said she's still upset about it. <laughs> Um, he asked Je- uh, Jessel Tank um, from the New, yeah. New York Housewives who she she in the series she'd made a comment about Tribeca in New York being up oh. and coming and it was like much laughed about and he asked if she felt like Dublin was up and coming or if it was there and she was like oh my god I love Dublin but then she oh, referred to it as being like the land of sheep and farms or something yeah there's more than fields and something like that yeah. so yeah maybe Jessel needs to brush up on her geography so he got great Irish stuff that's amazing but another thing a Real Housewives of New York was announced. Legacy is coming. Yeah. In December. I'm very excited. Is it December? It's yeah. coming. Oh, well, well, in, on Peacock on December 14th, so hopefully we'll get it soon. So. We also got a new trailer for uh, uh, Vanderpump Rules, which looks juicy AF. Yeah. There's so much going on in that world. There's I'm so, so happy new, I'm in it. Yeah, I know. And there's so many new Housewives episodes being delivered at the moment. There's new Potomac. I, I'm, I'm not Miami. Yeah, I'm not. I I love having them just there yeah. waiting for when I need them, like medicine. Yeah, yeah. Brain I medicine. haven't started Sydney yet, which I am going to. I When New Potomac started, I realised I never finished last series yeah. of Potomac. Yeah. I am behind. No, I'm up to date on Salt Lake, actually. Um, but there's, oh, Miami I haven't started yet. Yeah. It's, but I started the Sydney one now. Okay, we won't get, get sucked into a Real Housewives conversation, but we could. But... I find historically the Australian ones we've talked about this before have been too bitchy and too intense. Yes. But there's a whole, there's one recurring or two, maybe it's two recurring cast members. It's better. There's a different energy over there. Yes, I agree. And it's interesting that you say that because I I liked Melbourne, but I always felt like Sydney was too harsh. The oh, previous so iteration. Harsh. Oh, they were going in swinging. And I thought the same about um, Australian Drag Race. I yeah. always was like, oh, it's just too mean. There's yeah, not enough mean. heart. Yeah, yeah t- it's it's a. What's that about Australians? Sort that. We love Australia. Australia. Although my friend who's Australian says that we are like incredibly annoying because we never say what we mean. And she's like in Australia, like if you have an issue, you just say it or like you're just straight up about things. So maybe it's just directness that we're not used to. 
And we okay. beat around the bush. We do beat around the bush. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. I like hiding what my bush? feelings. Who knows? <laughs> Same. <laughs> the passive aggressive bush. I sent like a reasonably annoyed email before we started recording and I still feel like I'm now immediately regret regret it and feel sick about it because was it was it bad? No. Was it out of line? No. Well, Did I just state my opinion? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but is good that reason. uncomfortable? Yes. yes. Why are we like this? Well, Esther, what a joy it has been to chat to you. I'm going to take a photo of the couch now um, so the people can see. And uh, I will speak to you anon. Where can the people find you? Any news on a return of Emer and Esther's Sunday Roast with Esther and Emer? Yes. Uh, thank you, Emer wrong. and Esther. No, we got the names of what's foreign. I, know, first, I always get them important. in the wrong order. Um, yeah, no, so we'll be gonna, we're going to be uh, having a short little mini kind of series for December. So just perfect for the festive season. Oh, love so, it. So uh, you can follow... What is our Instagram account? Sunday Roast Potatoes. It's been so long. We are not up on our Instagram. So social media. So, in, so Sunday Roast Potatoes. But follow me at Esther Two Names. And Love it. Have a great time. Stunning. Thanks, Esther. Bye. Well, it is just about time for me to go. But before I do, I have a couple of recommendations for you. Um, I didn't realize, I kind of missed that Bottoms had come out here. This is the film which stars the wonderful Ayoa Dabiri, among other people. Um, Rachel Sinnott is in there. It is uh, Kaya Gerber, daughter of Cindy Crawford, is in it. It is like a high school comedy um, about two queer best friends um, trying to find success in romance. I don't really know how to describe it because um, it is bizarre. It is funny. It is strange. It is kind of violent in a way toward the end, but it is loads and loads and loads of fun. And it is in the cinema now in Ireland. It was out in America a good while ago um, and I managed to get a sneak preview of it a little while ago. So I had missed that it had come out, but it is so much fun. I highly recommend. We need a bit of fun at the moment. And then I also wanted to recommend a new series I started watching on Sky, which is called Snowfall. This is about um, the early days of the crack cocaine epidemic in Los Angeles, set in the early 80s. It stars Damson Idris, who is a British actor as the main character. He is brilliant. He's like immediately charming. You're totally on his side. He plays a young American guy in Los Angeles. Brilliant performance by him. Um, and first of all, I just really enjoy being in a different time period. Um, so that's number one. And then number two... Um, I just think the writing is really good and I don't really know where it's going to go and um, it's something that I'm watching with Gordon and it's not always easy to find things that we both like but we are both really enjoying that. As I say, it's called Snowfall and it is on Sky now. So there you go. Those are my recommendations for you this week. I hope you have a nice week. If you want to come and join us over on the Patreon, I really do appreciate it. It makes obviously a huge difference to me in terms of literally putting food on the table, but also just in terms of supporting the podcast and um, and knowing we're growing a really gorgeous community over there. Um, Patreon.com forward slash catch up with Louise McSharry, but there's a link in the show notes as well. And there's loads of episodes there now. So if you join, you've got a huge back catalog to listen to. And um, don't forget as well, if you have thoughts or opinions on anything that you've heard in the podcast, please do send them to us. A voice note 089-209-6423. That's 089-209-6423. Love to hear your feedback, your thoughts, your feelings. If there's something you'd love to hear me talk about, if you have a question, literally anything goes. Um, and we've had some really, really good chats because I use those then for the mailbag episode, uh, which is goes out on the Patreon once a month um, where I respond to your feedback and um, all feedback is welcome. All of it. 
yes, I'm, I make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. And I would prefer to be called out on them and to discuss them with you than pretend like they never happen. So that all happens over there. Okay, time for me to go. I hope you have a good week. Maybe I'll be in a better mood next week, guys. Fingers crossed. I'm really sorry that I brought my misery to your door. But I think it's better to be honest, I suppose, than pretend like everything is sunshine and lollipops when it's really not. Um, but yeah, I hope that you are having a good week. If you're not having a good week, that's okay. I hope you have a good week next week. If that doesn't happen either, that's okay too. All we can do is put one foot in front of the other because things will get better eventually. Thank you to ACAST for having me on the network and also thank you so much to my brilliant contributors. I will talk to you next Friday.